0: Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Uh, I love this man. My guest today is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. We have just spent months together making Super Pumped, which premieres anywhere and any way that you watch Showtime, whether you watch it online or on TV, on demand. Starting Feb 27, you will be able to watch the first episode. There are seven episodes. And uh, right at the center of this incredible show that's starring also Kyle Chandler and Uma Thurman and many other great actors, but right at the center is Joseph Gordon-Levitt, someone I did not know until we started this, but uh, I've come out of it. Uh, Levine and I both have with uh, a new little brother. So, uh, (laughs) Joe, man, thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much. It's good to be here, and I feel the same.
0: Uh, Yeah, man, it's been, I mean, what a thing to... Make something together during this time where Ooh. we, you know, the world had to struggle a lot more than we did and had to make a lot more adjustments than we did. But even so, trying to do this and all keeping ourselves relatively calm was a hell of an experience, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I just got super close with, you know, a crew of 100 people and I don't know what any of them look like because <laughs> we've been behind masks the whole time. <laughs> no, terrible. it's true.
0: Yeah. It's true. And it was like, it's weird because like, obviously we can look at you and your co-stars because you guys have to take your masks off at a certain point. And then you knew what me and Dave looked like, but that was about, it probably, some of these directors, I was wondering, like they directed you for months and you hardly saw them without their masks on. Yeah,
1: right? there was towards the end of uh, um, Dan. Dan, who directs episode two and three, Dan Lageno, he took off his mask sometime, you know, towards the end of having spent, um, you know, a solid month all day, every day with this guy. And he had a huge mustache. And I was like, what the fuck, you're a new person. I, I retroactively can't take you seriously. All That's <laughs> hilarious.
0: For me, it's just when he takes his mask off. It reminds you how young that fucking guy. He's so young. No, and actually,
1: I like his mustache. It fits with his like WWE obsession and
0: personality. It's true. I should have a mustache too. All right, Joe. <laughs> there's so much I want to. There's so much I want to ask you. And look, uh, people listening to this know who, who you are. This is a self-selecting audience on on the moment, but. Joe is somebody who's one of the most important uh, and and great actors of, of our oh, generation. Boy. And
1: jeez, thanks, well, man! <laughs> dude? Come on, man!
0: I mean, you know, like, and your career has just been utterly fascinating, and the choices that you've made. And I guess I want to start. I want to start here. Uh, there's something I didn't. I haven't asked you, and you know, there's a period of time when you walked away from acting after having so much success as a young person. And, and you've talked a bit about it, but what I'm curious about is like, what did you tell yourself? Because coming to know you, you know, you're a thoughtful person, you, are, you study, you're aware of the kind of absurdity of playing make-believe in a world where there's so much important stuff happening. Like you're very aware of all of it. So like, what did you tell yourself about why it mattered enough to devote yourself to storytelling, to devote yourself to this kind of life? You know two things, one, what did you tell yourself about why this choice is kind of a valid one, and second, what were your ambitions creatively and professionally when you decided to return? that's a great that's a great
1: question Now, when you say decided to return, there's actually kind of two points in my life where i where I took a big break from acting. one is uh after third rock from the Sun was over, I quit acting and went to college for a while. And then just recently when I had my first child, I quit acting for, not quit, but I, I didn't work for two years. Um, which I one really you mean when about? you
0: rededicated your, I mean, I, I think when you took the time off for, for your for your children. Yeah. I, by then you were already in the flow of doing this and, and maybe you decided the kinds of things you'd work on. But I mean, it, it's, here's what fascinates me you didn't really get to choose when you were young and then you walked away so that you could choose. And I think that that yeah. choice, it seems to me informs all of the decisions you made afterwards. So that's what I'm interested in.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a direct line between your question and a, uh a deep conversation about free will, which is either the greatest conversation in the world or intolerable, depending on your taste for those sorts of questions. But <laughs> no, it's the best um, convo because yeah. <laughs> it's like the most
0: important, you know.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I when I quit when I was when I was a teenager, I was nineteen, and I quit acting to um, go to college, and like you said, wanted to choose because. I had been doing it ever since I was so young, six years old, that it didn't exactly feel like a choice. And the truth is, is coming back when I, when I look back on the decision to start, start working again in show business, it didn't feel like that much of a choice either. In fact, it sort of felt like something that kind of came upon me. Uh, like the nine months of my freshman year of college was the longest I'd ever taken a break from acting since six years old. And I found myself dressing up in costumes, wearing wigs, just going out at night with my friends in, in New York, where I was going to school, assuming accents and playing characters for no reason at all. Just because I, I don't know, like I, I was missing that mode of expression. And I, I, I kind of couldn't help myself. So is that a choice or is that just something? Uh, were you doing that to
0: not be, but were you doing that ostensibly to not be recognized out in the city?
1: No, 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 no. I was making myself far more conspicuous than <laughs> than I would have <laughs> <laughs> if I were trying to not be noticed. Uh, it's just, I I had a some kind of urge that I don't know I could have explained to play pretend, like you said, I was just, I don't know. And then, but it's interesting comparing that. And I don't know if I've even really thought of this too directly, comparing that then to uh, stopping for a while when I became a dad and starting again, I didn't have any intention of quitting. When I took a break as a father it was different than when I took a break when I was 19. When I was 19, I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to come back to this. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to like try life. And it really didn't take very long before I like fell right back into wanting to act and make movies and things. Whereas when I had a kid, I was, I was always still intending to to come back. So, and I, I don't know. And I, I frankly do think all the time about whether or not this is the best thing to be doing with my life. You know, I want, especially if, if I get into a more, I don't know, altruistic mode of thought and like, how could I do the best good? How could I help the most people? Like, I don't know that making entertainment is that, but then I also do think entertainment can really matter. And this is one of the things I loved about super pumped and that you guys really found a concept and wrote a story based on a, a real story that is simultaneously entertaining, makes for a great TV show, but does ask some important questions about what some very serious things that are going
0: on in the world. Well, when you can do both things, when you can really be after something and trying to engage in your, you and I talked about this the other day, but it's true, like trying to, channel your curiosity when you're making this stuff and try to find the answer to something that you think you might sort of understand, but you're not exactly, and the way you do it is like by prosecuting it as performer, or as a writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's when you feel the most alive with this stuff, right? That's when I feel mm-hmm. the most alive with this yes. stuff, for sure. Yeah. Um, and it was, I mean, it was great being on the exploration with you, you know, be, and, and actually what was amazing on this one and despite, or maybe because of, the trying global circumstances, there was not a trying moment on set in in six months with any actors or any mo- where yeah, we were I mean, all rowing the yeah. same way, right? Yeah,
1: it's true. It's true. Yeah, no one, no one had any tension or conflict or anything like that. No.
0: Yeah, but I partially, I think, because we were trying to like, from my perspective. Like we were trying to get at something I think and all the conversations were like about trying to get at that thing and understand it you know That
1: that makes sense uh, when your premise is hey let's just make something entertaining it makes for a different kind of I don't know workplace than when you when you assume the mental of responsibility of like okay we are we are the ones that are telling this story to pop culture and this is maybe an important story so this is this is where we're not just fucking around and having fun. We're like, there's a bit of a duty here
0: as artists. Well, yeah, and I think the duty and the privilege thing—not privilege necessarily, like the Like, I, you know, I'm picturing you sitting in class at 19, and and most of the people around us when we're in college, and I was one of those people. is like. They're about to have the opportunity to try to find a perch from which to like look at and engage with the world. But because of what you'd accomplished already, you would already kind of put yourself in a position to engage with the world from a place that most people never do. And that I want I mean, that's part of it seems to me like with you, I can see it. You're very aware of the way in which you get to use that to influence for the good, if you want to, or for your, you know, or to learn something to take somewhere else. Like that, don't you, do you feel that that's a a, a sort of a big part of the allure to continue with this is like the the sort of the cultural freedom it affords?
1: I, yes, I, uh, I feel a lot of responsibility, whether how much of that is self-imposed or, you know, delusions of grandeur, that's debatable, but, uh, I, I feel a certain sense of responsibility of, oh, I've been given this privileged kind of, like you said, a perch or a platform to, uh, be more visible than an average person or have my voice heard louder than an average person. And I should do something with that, not just dick around. Um, but, uh, I, like I said, I'm, I'm not, Entirely convinced that any any of it is is actually amounting to
0: anything, but but I I try and uh, that's maybe all I could do. But taking it out of yourself, do you feel like the role of the artist is a valuable like? So it's one thing to look at ourselves individually and go, well, I'm not sure this is really like a lot of utility to this. But on the other hand, ha, I mean, what do you think the role of the artist? Again, not Joe Gordon Levitt, but like. Where do you put the, the the role of the artist in society? Do you value it as a as a as a human when meaning the contributions that other artists have made to your life?
1: Yeah, it's such a great question. I th- I think about this all the time, and I I do want to hear your answer to this too. But it, it I personally uh, get a lot out of the movies I watch, the music I listen to, the books that I read, they've meant a great deal to me. And so I feel honored to get to participate in that uh, conversation, uh, cultural conversation. But that said, uh, I do think that our current culture puts way too much weight and focus on entertainment and uh, I guess you could even say art or storytelling. as opposed to the more challenging and boring forms of communication like science or facts or logic or reason. You know, these are much harder to to deal with. And so we're tempted to just view everything through the uh, lens of entertainment and even things that really shouldn't be viewed through the lens of entertainment, like the news, for example. The news has become entertainment straight up, I see very little difference between what news organizations do and what we do in Hollywood. Of course, there are some differences depending on the journalistic organization, uh, but uh, their business model is basically the same. They make money when they get more viewers. They have to uh, cater to people's attention span and uh, it's, I think, a big problem, <laughs> and uh, you know I, I I feel like if if we we need to somehow uh, take responsibility to be less entertained and and do the hard work of having uh, spending more time with our brains uh, less amused, less entertained, and more um, you know doing the hard work
0: right, but I wonder. I disagree with not a word you just said. I, I would say maybe a shading on it is when, when politics becomes all about the game aspects of it and mm. the WWE aspect of it, <laughs> those people reporting on it, making it that, they're not actually um, even aspiring to art. Right, they're aspiring, they're using some of the tools of the the mediums that are originally intended to serve artists as as a form of entertainment. And they're Mm -hmm. kind of co-opting those things, which then might make one like you go like, well, is what I'm doing different? But I would Mm -hmm. just say, you want my answer, you said. My answer is like the other night, because I've had COVID, I feel I can go out now. And the other night, I went out and saw Eddie Vedder at the Beacon.
1: Ugh.
0: I hadn't oh, seen jealous. live, dude, I hadn't seen live music in two years, you know? And yeah, wow. and I will tell you, like, uh, what that did for me, the nourishment that that, now, yeah. even using the word like nourishment, you and I both are unfortunate, like, tortured people, so. I do understand there are people who need actual nourishment like lots of people in the world. I yeah. I'm 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 speaking Clean in a in rarefied way. Yeah, yeah they Clean need actual food. Yeah, I get it and I know it's true. But I will say having walked around for 2 years in a uh, almost in a uh, with a band of emotional like inputs that are kind of constricted mm-hmm. to go and see Eddie Vedder with Chad Smith on drums. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Beacon. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say I, we overvalue that dude. Like that dude gave me a gift that is so great. And yes, he got rewarded. We all stood up and cheered and would have stayed till the morning. And yeah. he got paid a lot of money and all that stuff. But you know what? Well, actually, I think it was a charity. I think actually every dollar went to charity. But it it was such a, a beautiful thing. And 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 I. so for me, the place art, has in getting me through my day, uh, enabling me to have been a better parent, and I was like all those things. It's like uh, I don't know that we, uh, for me anyway, I don't know that we o- overvalue it because it's its contributions to me have been so g- great.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I, I mean, I don't disagree with any of that either. The I guess the the counter argument would be if if only all art could be. Something as dedicated where people were taking their time to walk out their doors, go to a building all together, listen to a particular artist that they all cared about, give it their undivided attention. I mean, I guess probably some people were looking at their phones, but probably for the most part, everyone there at the Beacon Theater was really paying attention. Those kinds of moments are, uh, I, I would not disagree for a second, like intrinsic to what it means to be human. Uh, but a lot of what entertainment is nowadays falls short of that.
0: So this is interesting, right? You do 500 Days of Summer. Let's just look at that for a second, which has this incredible effect on you and your career and your life. And Uh, But are you – can you take in the sort of – the gift that that movie was to generations of people who were a certain age as it gave them a bunch of signifiers to understand a bunch of stuff about what they were feeling and about how they wanted to prioritize and live – like can – can, do you have the ability to look at that as both the process you went through making, but also as like, okay, this, this was a, a special thing. Like I'm lucky to have been a conduit for that emotional journey for these people.
1: I, I definitely feel lucky and grateful. I, I think there's only so much I'm probably able to draw those insights from that particular movie just because I'm in it. Uh, but then um, I'm. I'm flattered that you talk about it in that way, and I certainly have movies like that that speak to me in that way. Uh, And like, I remember being 14 and seeing Swingers. Oh uh, yeah, sure. And uh, and just feeling like. Oh, finally a movie that shows how badly nightlife sucks. Not that I knew anything about nightlife yet. I was 14, but how badly it sucks to like be uh just a a single person trying to figure out love and sex and all that. Um and uh I hadn't seen it portrayed so realistically and and cleverly before and I mean that movie I just loved it and and so I, I mean, I completely agree with you that works of art like that can, can make me feel understood and give me understanding hundred percent. And maybe that's, maybe that's a sort of a litmus test is like, can you make something that does provide, um, those touch points versus just, uh, just stimulating the, the appetite. Um, but then again, you could probably also make arguments of that any, any particular piece of content that, uh, you know, a snobby person like me might look down my nose at, but you know, I don't know, like, do you think, I guess the question is, is there a line there or is it just, is any, is any piece of quote unquote content able to provide
0: the value you're talking about? I mean, I love talking about this stuff because <laughs> what I flashed on was Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I flashed on like mm. how someone might just be like, well, that's just a piece of pop entertainment. Sure. But but I will never forget the weekend. Like I, I could never forget the, the three days of my life after seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. Like the way that I just flew around the world. Like you're too young, but I was 14 or 13. And like- I mean, imagine going to the movie theater, Joe, and and like that movie doesn't exist. Like that's never no part of that's exact. Harrison Ford's never been indie,
1: right?
0: And you go to the theater and you see that thing, right? And you are just you're different. You're you're floating around like the possibilities of your your personality changes, like yeah. um, in a way. So I don't know that. I mean, look that, you know. I mean, I could go my whole career and never do anything that has. Any of the impact that like a Friday night watching Raiders has, but but I guess it's going back to this question to you, which is, what were your ambitions? I guess you know when you decided, okay, I'm a grown up now, and I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna write stuff and I'm gonna I'm gonna direct stuff eventually. But I'm gonna I'm gonna really engage as an adult as an actor. Mm-hmm. What were your were your ambitions purely like? Well, I love doing this, so I'm gonna keep doing it. Were or or were they slightly grander than than that? I mean, how did you articulate it to yourself at the time?
1: I think I would articulate it in a sort of a dialectical way, that are playing to both sides of the question you're asking, uh, saying part of this is selfish. It's just I get so much pleasure from doing this, and I don't want to be dishonest and pretend like that's not a lot of it. That is a lot of it, and. Arguably, that's a really important part of it. If you're going to do a good job at any acting or, or other art, you have to be serving that selfish desire. Because that's, uh, I don't know, somehow that that's what makes it fucking good. Come alive for the yeah. people. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but yes, I, I did also, starting starting when I was... I think after I I quit, went to college, and and I wouldn't even put that much importance on college, but I would put importance on uh, living in New York City. Uh, Having never lived there before, I felt a connection to the rest of the human race that I had not felt previously growing up in a suburb. Um, I grew up in a suburb of Los Angeles, and um, either New York City and or just getting older, but i did feel like hey i want to contribute somehow i want to i i've i've grown aware of how lucky i am and how how is there anything i can do to try to help make make this world better i guess and um and i convinced myself and maybe it's true that i could i could help the best way that for me to help was to take advantage of what i was already good at doing and what I already had a head start at, and get back into making movies and shows and things, and uh, so I, I am always sort of trying to keep that in mind. And I think maybe sometimes I keep it too much in mind, uh, and um, and I need to be more selfish sometimes. That's actually something I've been telling myself lately. Um, and, Define uh, that.
0: Define what you mean by that.
1: Well. <laughs> Actually, like, and I- I'm not saying I'm right to feel this, but um, just making decisions or following my creative desires that appeal to just my own taste, my own perspective, what I like, and not thinking as much about what other people will like i mean like i said i think there's a real downside to doing this uh there's upsides and downsides i mean the truth is like i made a show last year um mr corman that was pretty strictly that and i got to hand it to my collaborators uh at a24 and at apple tv plus who went along with it and 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 let me make that show um which broke with convention in a number of ways. Um, but all ways that I was really keen to break. And I, you know, the truth is, is that most stuff on TV is, does not, um, hold my interest. And, uh, I wanted to make something that would, that would be like, this is what I would want to see. If I were sitting down to watch a show, I'd want, I'd want a show that fucked with this and tried that. And, and, and didn't fit into this, but was true in these ways. And, um, and that's what I made. And I, I, you know, went under the auspices of like, I'm just going to follow, you know, my own, cause I have the opportunity. How many artists get the opportunity to make a show at this scale? That's like really kind of true to their own individual perspective and tastes and, and, uh, you know, uh, the show did not get picked up for a second season, um, but I'm proud of it and I'm glad it exists. I'm glad I made it. And, um, you know, I- yeah.
0: Are you able to know that's a win?
1: <laughs> we, you know, you and I had a really wonderful conversation right after it happened. I, I'll, I'll never forget it. Um, Cause I was right in the middle of of shooting, super pumped when, when we got the news that um, we weren't gonna go again. And you were insightful enough to say like, oh, that's probably rough on this guy who's in the middle of shooting today, and you're like, let's take a walk. And um yeah, and we we I I really valued the conversation we had and we I should I should go find that uh it's it's a it's the dedication you quoted the dedication to Franny and Zoe. Uh, the the second Salinger book about um oh man I should read it because it's just the the lima
0: bean to the cool luncheon companion exactly yeah
1: yeah. the cool Um,
0: lima bean to a luncheon companion wait you know what hold on
1: I don't need to find the book because I took a picture of it here I'll 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 read it because it's I would want to hear it if I were listening to a podcast this is the dedication uh to franny and zoe that brian quoted me on our walk when i was reeling from (laughs) from (laughs) rejection um it goes as nearly as possible in the spirit of matthew salinger age one urging a luncheon companion to accept a cool lima bean i urge my editor mentor and heaven help him closest friend william sean genius domus of the new yorker lover of the long shot protector of the unprolific defender of the hopelessly flamboyant most unreasonably modest of born great artist editors to accept this pretty skimpy looking book
0: yeah man i <laughs> and still you, yeah, love you, that
1: uh, it's so good and you were like it's like that it's like the kid handing the cool lima bean to his friend and yeah that that is kind of what it's like to to make a piece of art and we were talking about being selfish like I guess you know the kid children are like a one year old child is perfectly uh, sort of divinely selfish they you know a kid like that hasn't been corrupted yet with any kind of extrinsic uh, well that's not entirely true but has largely been compared to adults has not been I mean they so understand
0: stimul- they understand acting a certain way and stimulus uh, re- re- occurring as, as a response but but yes look the image of the innocence of sharing something that you think is great mm-hmm. uh, and not knowing how it's going to be received but not having insecurity about it but but presenting it and, and all that stuff and yeah and and, and and knowing like you're going to get destroyed, you know, as we grow up, we know that we, we might get destroyed. And, mm-hmm. but I, I, I guess isn't, I guess I don't understand the point of doing any of this. If, if when you get the chance to make Mr. Corman and that's what you want to make, if you don't make it yeah, and right. <laughs> going true. in, knowing, going in, knowing that, um, that they may not want you back or going in knowing that you're going to have a small audience. That's going to love it. And they're going to, they're going to, you know, I, I remember, and I'll, we'll move off of this, but I remember I was with Edward Norton right after Fight Club came out. And I remember seeing it the first time. And I, I as sometimes happens with some movies that become so important to me, like I watched that movie the first time and I, I understood why it was technically great. I understood what David Fincher was doing, but the movie itself missed me. Hmm. And I remember saying to Edward, like, I don't know. And and he went no 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 i promise you this movie is so important to people the people for whom this movie matters and then i remember 2 years later he and i were walking somewhere and like everywhere we went people all they wanted to do was talk to him about fight club and why mm-hmm. it mattered so much and what it meant and it was like and look 20 years later it's absurd to think that that movie got badly reviewed and lost money and Did people it? Yeah. i
1: didn't i don't i didn't even remember was, that
0: the movie studio almost didn't want to put it out, Joe. Like, and, (laughs) like, because we can't look in the little moment. Mr. Corman is going to, you're going to know about Mr. Corman in seven years from now,
1: really. That's sweet of you to say. Thank you.
0: Well, you know, that's how that, I mean, that's just how that, I haven't you been at this long enough that you know that you're going to get weird, like Brick. You must get reaction to Brick now in, in some ways.
1: Sure, yeah, Brick is one that people bring up. Uh, at, however, many years later, and it was such a tiny movie. Even you, you mentioned Five Hundred Days of Summer. That was a very mild, modest success when it first came out.
0: Is it that was, true?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. I think of like, it as
0: a massive hit movie for some reason. No,
1: it didn't like make a lot of money at the box office. I don't
0: think. But how soon afterwards did you realize the movie had this cultural kind of impact, and that you're, and that people recognized you as? A, like a lead, you know, that it signified some kind of a change in your stat status in the business. Um, yeah. I mean, it was not long
1: after that, that, um, that I got to do these two Chris Nolan movies back to back, but I don't think he saw five hundred. I mean, maybe he watched 500 days of summer, but I don't think that was what he, he watched another movie, uh, called the lookout, which is, I, I think a really Our great friend, movie. Scott Frank's yeah. movie. Yeah. Scott Frank is his directorial debut. Yeah. Who's recently had enormous success with Queens Gambit, and I mean, he's such a great, great artist. But uh, and it was his first movie, um, and that was that was a movie that that never got a lot of attention. But that was the one that Chris saw that made him want to um, put me in his movie. <laughs>
0: Were you able to, when, when, so you'd, you'd had all this experience, kid actor, when, when Brick came your way, were you able to recognize that the, the creative voice, but I, I, I'm interested in how you decide what, what work, you're, what you're going to do, you know, especially when someone has options and, okay, I'm going to do this thing, I'm not going to do that thing. And I'm also one of the things about the when I started the podcast it was all about these inflection points like I always wondered if right. when the members of REM got together for the first time <laughs> I always wondered in the church basement if they knew when they first played the first couple chords were they like oh this is different than every other band like did they know like when right. did they know yeah. So like when you walked in and met with Ryan did part of you understand okay this this thing that me and this guy have and this thing that this guy this is there's something happening here or was it just another, like another job and it turned out to to sort of have, you know, a long contrail and all that stuff. Like how, how did that happen? It felt
1: really special to me, his writing and him and getting, we became really close friends. I would not necessarily have guessed or put money on the notion that this is going to be one of the most successful filmmakers he's going to direct, you know, a star wars movie like all that he's gonna then go on after star wars to make a incredibly successful you know detective franchise i I didn't uh i wouldn't have predicted like oh wow he's gonna absolutely murder not only you know artistically but commercially um but i did know i knew very well uh, very strongly that uh his writing was unlike anything I'd ever seen. The the brick yes. screenplay is an anomaly. Like I, I, I've still never seen anything like it. It's very out of the ordinary piece of writing. I, I remember the first time I read it, the whole time I was riveted, but I was also just like, what the fuck is this? What is happening? What's about to, I kept thinking like, a ghost was going to show up or something super, cause it was so not realistic. I was convinced that something weird was going to, it's going to happen. And it wasn't until I finished reading and I was like, Oh, it's like, uh, It's a detective thing. And I looked at the front page. I was like, oh, it says it right on the front page because he puts on each of his screenplays the genre. It said, a detective movie by Ryan Johnson. And for some reason, that had missed me my first time reading it. And I just started reading it again right away. And I read that script compulsively. I mean, I was, you know, 22 years old and uh, didn't have any of the responsibilities or commitments that, you know, I have now. And I could just obsess over... Oh, over great. the material and uh but like you asked the question of what what how do you how do I choose what I wanted to do I mean first of all I should say at that time I was like taking what I could get uh I I I did not <laughs> I was not getting offers um but uh brick actually did come to me from a casting director that I had um Shannon McCannion was her name was casting brick and she had just cast me a mysterious skin. And, uh, she was like my only fan in Hollywood, um, who, who knew that I was trying to do something different than third rock from the sun and 10 things I hate about you. And, uh, she recommended me to Ryan. And, um, but to the, to the question of how do I know a lot of it is, is not, intellectual at all it's a very instinctual thing and it has to do with when i'm reading something do i start reading it aloud and i don't it's not even something i'm cognizant of it just kind of starts happening uh within the first few pages of super pumped by the way i was reading it aloud you guys are very good at reading at writing words that are fun to read aloud and so is ryan and Brick right away, like, but for a very different reason than Super Pumped. Um, of course, a brick is just so strange, like it's, <laughs> and it's this highly stylized thing, and so I was, it, it just piqued my curiosity of like, what would it be like to say these words, and it, it fascinated me, and it continued to fascinate me throughout the, the making of that movie. Um, so I knew right away. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, you know he. uh you know, I had the, the true treat of reading a few drafts of Looper. And yeah. he sent me a couple drafts of it. Like, hey, do you have any I – mean, he was like, do you have any notes? And I remember the first draft of that thing I read. And I was – it sent me flying across the room. It's like one of the best <laughs> scripts I've ever read in my life, right? It's crazy yeah. Yeah. how good – and I had loved his second movie too, though I knew there were – I loved the second movie, but I didn't read yeah. the second movie. Mm-hmm. But the third movie sent me. And somewhere I have that, I mean, I wrote him. I was like, this is a fucking massive thing. And in fact, I probably said to him, go get Tom Cruise. Don't Why are you going to mess around with Joe? <laughs> you know, get Tom Cruise and get anybody. And he, I know, and he was like, Joe, Joe is the guy for this. Uh-huh. And like, you know, he was determined that he was going to make it with you and, and Bruce. You know, it's crazy. It all seemed crazy if you think about what he wrote <laughs> and where he was in his life. And like, yeah. you know, he could have, I think, cast like, yeah. literally, you know, Matt or Tom Cruise, like he could have, yeah. I think there's nobody who would have said no to that part, basically. Yeah, yeah you know? it's such
1: a great part, it's incredible.
0: And he knew, which I love, I mean, he just knew you were the person for it, and I remember sitting in the movie theater, dude, and like going, oh yeah, man, I gotta remember Ryan's never wrong. Like, yeah. I, I was like, <laughs> no, you know, it's one of those things, like, Ryan just knows. Yeah, it's so true, man. He he he
1: it's, he. It's has a a way, and I think it's, his, his almost secret power is he combines his incredible talent with, uh, an equal helping of humility that I, I is, I admire so much. And I think that's part of why he's never wrong is because he's so, he's so humble about his fantastic instincts and skills that he, he avoids pitfalls because he gets great feedback from people. Cause he, 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 He's so um, he's so good at getting feedback because he doesn't get defensive in the slightest. Even when we were making brick, and he was like twenty nine, he right. would get notes from. I remember he would tell me about notes, and I would get defensive on his behalf. And he and then he would be like, "Well, I don't know. There's maybe something to that." And I, I and I'd be like, "What the? F-? I'm you know I'm a twenty two year old kid going fuck them. They don't know what they're doing." But and he's just always had this humility. That uh, I still aspire to. Uh, I think about it all the time.
0: Well, he has another quality that you share, which is rigor. So I think that's the third piece of it. He's a lot of people with his gift are not nearly as, there aren't many people with his gift, but among that very rarefied group, I think many of those people rely on the gift and don't put in the rigor. Mm, and Ryan, mm-hmm. and I think as artists listening to this, like, why did Ryan send me Looper? Well, he, you know, it was a, he sent it probably to 10 or 12 screenwriters. Right. Right? right. Uh, and because he, and then he wanted to go back and do more work. He wanted mm-hmm. to get the, and he wanted to grind on it. And mm-hmm. you know, he does animat, I mean, I don't know if he, he, I think he probably still does those animat- animatrics, mm-hmm. like the whole movie.
1: He, I remember when we made Brick sitting in his apartment and he went through with me the entire script yeah. and what he was gonna do with the camera for every moment of the entire script this is the most generous thing. Uh, I've never had another director be so inclusive of me. And I'm like a young actor. I don't need to know what he's doing, but he took hours out of his night cause he knew that I was interested and he thought that it would it would help. And I think it did actually that, that being in on it like that made me feel all the more inspired and invested and it just felt like, yeah, we're here and me and him and and his DP, Steve, Steve Yedlin, who's been his DP on every movie. Um, we were we were doing it together and it 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 comes down to that humility again. That's part of why he can be so collaborative. He's not possessive. He's not like, no, this is mine. Stay away. He, he he'll listen to anybody's ideas and he'll include everybody. And he just doesn't have an ego about it, and it it makes everybody come and and bring their best.
0: I mean, if you're someone out there listening, and you are a director, or writer, like play what Joe just said a bunch of times for yourself. It's really like <laughs> there's a lot of keys in there about how because it's really hard in the when it's coming at you fast. How do you decide, so you've had these experiences with certain of these directors and I, I did, um, like the process of working with you on this show, super pumped. One of the things that David and I loved was that you were so prepared that when you would come in with a question, it, it was not a question born of insecurity and it was not a question born of like casual, hey, I want this to be cool. It was like, well, this is going on and this is going on. How does this thing, um, Makes sense, and then we had some really like great. Our process was so great together, and in, in in going through this. But but one thing that occurred to me was at a certain point, it was clear that you made a decision to put yourself in our hands. Like, and I wonder. <laughs> no, like you know, it's clear at a certain point you were like, okay, they're they're not. Well, I you know I know. Like I, you're like, all right, I'm I'm put. I'm gonna I'm gonna if I have questions, I'm gonna raise them. We're gonna talk it through. But I'm putting myself in their hands. We're making the show. Yeah. And what I, I want to know is, it, it seems to me, n- knowing you and your work, and your st- we all tell each other war stories, that sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have to protect yourself. <laughs> um, and uh, as we all do, like I've worked for directors, is it right? Like we all have to sometimes protect ourselves. Prote- but is that an intellectual or an instinctive process for you? When, when you are able to kind of really give yourself over to the filmmaker, or when you feel like you got to safeguard it?
1: That's that's a good question. I don't. I, let's see. I don't have a preset answer to that. Um, I'm, Wait, I'm we're gonna, have a, we're gonna yeah. have a real moment. We're gonna have a real moment. That's back. I think it's it's also changed over the years. I think when I was younger and before I had had a chance to make any of my own stuff, I was a lot harder on directors and I don't think even necessarily in a productive way which is cause like out of out of wanting out of like you know when, when you're an actor the truth is is you are not in control you're really not in control you're 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 helping you're bringing ingredients for the filmmaker to bake the cake and uh and I think I had when I was in my twenties or whatever, I would sometimes I wanted that control so much that I would, that I would make it more difficult than it needed to be probably. Um, And then having now done some directing of my own uh, and, and experienced both sides of it, I think I can have an easier time acting and, and enjoying that lack of control and being like, it's not up yeah. to me. Like these guys are good at what they do. They make they make shows that people really like. They know how to do it better than I know how to do it for, you know, for do what they do. And I'm excited to like for them to cook with my ingredients. So, you know, let let's let's just do that. Um and uh and and then I think there's a side also that there's there's the emotional side of just because you guys we're always really respectful. And I've been in other situations where directors are defensive and not entirely respectful, and then that just creates a, a sort of a feedback cycle of like, all right, well, if you're going to be defensive, then I'm going to have to, like you said, protect myself, which is not it's not where you want to be.
0: No, it's and it's really like uh, one of the great things is, you know, when you would have an idea, it was – always valid. And, you know, there are, there are a couple of moments where you came up with something and you were like, well, what if I said this? And Dave and I were just like, yeah, say that, that's better. And it was really the way you comported yourself throughout the whole thing. I guess that's born over time of you learning, I, I wonder it. Like, because I think partially because all of us have been at this a while, it enables those conversations to actually just be about the work and not about anybody's yeah. standing, and that's—I don't even—it's weird. Like it just happened in a way mm-hmm. where we—and and it's kind of a beautiful part of the thing to be to live in that spot. Um, and I, but I think part of it has to do with how much you you prepare. And can you talk a little bit about what your preparation is is like because you know you come in not only knowing all the words which is just the baseline thing that still so many people don't do but when number one on the call she <laughs> well when number one on the call she does it everyone does it and on our show everybody did it was incredible like i mean uma was not i mean uma's note per, i mean just every she comma was,
1: she was uh, it was her performance was really something to behold it felt like uh it felt like ah oh, yeah this is what acting is i mean she just nailed it so hard and gave so much of herself to it and was having so much fun i love her performance in this she's my she's she is my favorite part of the show and i would i would just watch nothing but her
0: oh dude i mean when you know what another great thing is somehow you're not jaded i don't understand this but like for a life lived in hollywood like there's one thing that i don't want to spoil for people yet in the show but they'll know in a couple of days. But when that one thing happened, and then when Uma happened, and we were like, I think we're gonna get Uma, and you were like, I at first you're like, ah, really? And I was like, I think we're gonna get Uma going to do this. And then I came back and I was like, where Uma's doing this. And like you were so guilelessly just thrilled about it. Like, which most people have been doing this as long as you aren't, like, how do you keep how do you keep that part of yourself that's a fan stoked? You know what I mean? Like, what do you do to not become just like, ah, oh, yeah, Uma Thurman? Because because like even me, I'm 55 years old, I've been doing this for 30 years. Like, when Uma said yes, and we met, and we got through it and things, and then she did Ariana for Dave and me before, like, you know, she called us and she was like, before you guys cast me, we we're like, you're not auditioning, Uma, you're cast. She's like, <laughs> I want to do it for you to make sure you're, But like, I was like, holy shit. Shit, we got Uma Thurman. And and the fact that you were like that too. Like, do you are you aware of like keeping yourself in a place where you can be a fan?
1: I don't know, man. I, I think I am kind of jaded and broken. I think that it's just that Umar is so special that she she transcended that. Honestly, I I, I, I worry about this. Like <laughs> I You think, do? Yeah, yeah. I, I do. I, I think I have I, I didn't used to be as much this way. Like even, even after I'd been doing a lot, I mean, I've been doing this so long when I was, you know, I started when I was a little kid, I'm being, I remember being, you know, in my late twenties, early thirties and, and feeling more like what you're describing. I think I'm, I'm, I'm 40 now. I don't think it's just age. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm a, because I'm a dad. And so I care about other things too, or I don't know what I, I do. uh, This is like, I, I feel somewhat, um, vulnerable saying this but like I do feel like I'm uh, something is uh, like it is harder for me now than it used to be to maintain the same kind of relationship to to movies and actors and things like that as what I used to have and as part of why I got so excited about working with Uma cuz for whatever reason she just crashed through that and like ignited all these uh feelings for me that like are are less uh frequent less frequently felt uh then so, and I think that's a tribute to her. But I don't know. I I do wonder about this, and I would I would ask you that I, I this is something I've I've actually been curious to ask you about, and now we're doing it in public. But um, I wonder about it. Like I I I feel I feel optimistic. Like I think it's it, a, a lot of it has to do with just my worldview broadening, um, and and I and I like that. But like here's an example, a more concrete example. I haven't read fiction in, I don't know, four or five years. I mean, not zero. I've read like one or two novels, but like, I just, I read nonfiction books now. That's what holds my interest. Uh, the The last few books I read were like a history book, a macroeconomics book, and, a, and like a science book. And I find them fascinating. Like they're page turners for me. And I try to open up a novel and it usually loses my interest. And what... What the fuck is going on with
0: me? Well, that's, I think it's a slightly different answer. I've, this is your, this is what I'm prepared for. I give okay. This, this exact issue, I've given a lot of thought. Okay. Fiction, when you allow it to, fucks your shit up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so, as you get older and you have children and you have things you could lose and you have the stakes are so great. you know you lost your brother 15 years you know yeah yeah so I don't want to miss 12 years ago. Like fiction's about death. that's just what fiction's about <laughs> <laughs> And so like it 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 forces you to be willing to grapple with what matters in the deepest, places where it's really so primal and almost beyond intellectualizing and it can crack you. And so the defenses that we have up to art now or to getting mm. blown away mm. when you get lost when I get lost in fiction cuz I've had the same I know exactly what you're talking about. There have been, mm. fiction was the most important thing in my life for so long reading books. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then there were periods of time where it was like why the fuck am I not reading Books like fit and when I and I've always was reading nonfiction, right? It doesn't count. I mean, that just doesn't count. Yeah, (laughs) it's because fiction fucks you up. It is the growth mechanism. Joe, growth is painful, and at a certain point, you like don't growth sucks, and so you're forty, and you have these children, and a what, and this life, and this family, and then to allow yourself to get swept up in that thing. It's crushing. And- That's uh, fascinating. That's
1: not what I I would have thought of. That's really interesting.
0: It's, I mean, you know, because like, if you went and sat down on your, in your chair tonight and read The Stranger, like (laughs) The Stranger would hold your interest, buddy. And you would be in a, yeah. And you would just be in a puddle by the end of it and broken. Yeah. And so it's it is easier to read nonfiction because you know you get to be smart. Like when we read nonfiction, it's like, oh well this is grown up stuff. I'm able to be smart. (laughs) The truth is, that's not the grown up stuff. The grown up stuff's the other stuff. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. That's That's what I'd say. And it's it's hard. It's hard. It's it's fucking hard. And and I think the other side of the read
1: the stranger.
0: The Stranger is the best. Go read The Stranger. Camus is really good time to read. I mean, Camus. I read it when I was probably
1: twenty or something like that.
0: I read that. Oh part. yeah, it's different at forty. Read I it bet. at forty. It's so good. How
1: old the protagonist is supposed to be in The Stranger?
0: His mother died. He his would have. Just been, died. You know, his mother. Maybe he's, I don't remember, but he's like thirty four. I would say, or yeah, wow. something like that.
1: Okay, that's an interesting idea. All right, but, try that.
0: Uh, but I think also. It's about not faking the funk. So maybe when we when we're younger, with the with the movies, you might fake excitement. I'm not talking about the fake excitement of "Hey, that's a famous person, or, that's a movie star," but I am talking about "Wow, I'm going to get to work with someone of, of Uma Thurman's caliber." Um, how, how much do you think about or avoid things? I was watching a, an interview with Brad Cooper the other day. I've only met him once. I don't know him. He seems he's awesome. He seems great. Mm-hmm. But he talked about that he. He loved getting the call from Guillermo del Toro because Guillermo said to him, Leo was my first choice. When he fell out, you were my second choice. And Bradley says in an interview, (laughs) I was so chuffed that I'm like the second choice now to Leo for somebody. (laughs) And I thought it was so sweet to like admit that, you know, but uh, it's hilarious. And that's hilarious that Guillermo would say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the whole thing is hilarious. But... Well, Obviously, Guillermo's just such a genius in every way, he knows he, exactly that. He's, a, he's a, a
1: truly magic person living on earth somehow.
0: Yeah. I agree. Pan's Labyrinth is if people haven't seen Pan's Labyrinth, there's it's one of my favorites. Of all well, time. there you go. So, that's like me too, one of my favorite movies ever made.
1: Yeah,
0: that movie. And I can't even, it's the only horror movies like I love. He, he's the only person who makes that particular genre stuff that I love. I love every movie that that guy's ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, how do you avoid thinking about that pecking order stuff, or do you think about it?
1: Oh, it's really, I find it really hard to avoid and I struggle with it all the time. It's something I I dedicate a certain amount of mental energy to trying to dismantle in my head. And it's always building itself back uh, uh. Da- daily. I hate it. I hate it. It's so useless. I can't think of a bigger waste of time than, than, than constructing those sorts of totem poles. But by the way, like Silicon Valley is just, uh, you know, making trillions of dollars, building the most sophisticated, intricate totem poles ever built by, you know, assigning a, a numerical value in in followers to every single person. And anyway, uh, so it's hard. It, I think it's harder than ever to avoid. And now it's something that it's not just, you know, within a certain industry. That like we all are part of this uh, pecking order of how many followers do you have? And I really, I really admire the people who just don't do it. Like, uh, like for example, uh, like Scarlett Johansson's not on there. She's just not on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. She doesn't have a follower count. And like, I love that. (laughs) Uh, and I, I envy it sometimes, but, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, look, I, 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 I fall prey to it all the time. I think there's something very primal about it. Uh, it's in our animal, you know, limbic system or whatever to to defer to hierarchies. But but I I do also uh, run through what I know all the time, which is um, those hierarchies aren't what makes me happy. That the, they can't
0: be what makes you happy.
1: Well, they 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 can they can thrill you for a moment. It's like uh, cocaine or something not that I've ever been a fan of cocaine because I've you know tried it a couple times and didn't really like it but um, but like an addictive drug like that it'll it will get you high for a moment and then it'll you'll crash down and then you'll want more. And so if you if you put credence into those kinds of victories of like oh I'm climbing the ladder or like oh I I won this or I'm ranked here or any of that stuff. Um, it, it, is, it is thrilling when you have those moments of victories, and I've, I've had some, um, and it's, it's crushing when you have defeats, and I've had those, um, but in, the thrills don't last, and it never ends up in any kind of lasting contentment or happiness or meaning or joy, really. It's just these kind of th- fleeting thrills, but here's what does last, and here's what does give me real joy. Uh, acting the actual acting not the winning not the losing not the box office not the ranking not the who's second to who or who's above this or who's on what list none of that stuff the the those moments that we were talking about a minute ago where we're on set and we're in it and we're figuring out the scene and we're working on it and we're pitching and we're collaborating and we find it and we lost it but we find it again and and all of a sudden 10 hours has gone by and we were fucking doing it, that, that to me is the joy. That's why I do this. That's like we were, I was saying a minute ago, like there's part of this that's selfish. That's the, that's what I'm feeding to that selfish part is those experiences I think are truly nourishing and truly meaningful when you can find that flow. Um, And that's what I want to fill my life up with is the the creative process itself not any of the extrinsic rewards that might surround it and and so that, that that's i guess my answer to your question is like do i do i pay attention to the pecking order i can't fucking help it as hard as i try i keep trying to ignore it i fail every day but Uh, but I, I do my best to wrestle it away and focus on what really matters and what really gives me joy, which is the art itself.
0: Well, you just actually, within that answer, like answered every other question I had. So, (laughs) uh, I guess the only last thing is what do you hope people understand about, or what, what do you hope the experience the viewer has in watching our show? super pumped is or have you do you ha, have you gotten to see more of it yet or have you only watched one episode i've watched i've watched four of them
1: now that's, oh good that's All what right. they gave me and 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 my wife tasha is very upset that we don't have episode five six and seven available to oh, watch i'll right get there.
0: you five i'll come today i'll get you five Oh, really today. is it come? five's okay, ready great. for you to watch yeah yeah He's totally ready very for you to happy watch. Watch. about that it's so good <laughs> she's right like, the she's
1: sh- like babe it's my show i you can't just not give me another one
0: I know how seriously you take her uh, her opinion of stuff too. I
1: love her opinion because she's not in show business at all, and so she's just so unfiltered and honest and and real about her. Dude, can you believe that scene? The thing I told you about
0: when you when you're <laughs> you guys really just lingered on it too. <laughs> well, it was too. I mean, see, that's one of those examples where like, yes, it's very important for the character, but when you talk about the the um, intrinsic thing. Like that gives me and Dave so much joy. Do you know what I mean? Like, perversely, like yeah. this, like it gives the view. It gives me so much joy that I'm just like twelve more frames. Twelve more frames. <laughs> more waffle. Give more, me more waffle. Just a little, a little bit, a little bit more of it. But what? What do you hope people begin to? um understand about about our uh, about Silicon Valley through our show or about American capitalism through our show or or just about personal you know the the, the pros and cons of personal power you know yeah,
1: I I I mean I I, I do think that it's all, it's I hope people just sit and watch and have a good time cuz that's that's part well, of it's entertaining it. yeah it's for very sure entertaining. you guys did a great job at that um but I, I would I would also I guess hope look this the show follows this real-life person, Travis Kalanick, and does not shy away from showing some questionable decisions and some arguably unethical behavior. I would hope that people zoom out and see that this isn't just about Travis Kalanick, and it's not even just about Uber. This is about a much larger system of the way our economy works. This is what businesses have to do. Businesses have to grow or die. Businesses are required to achieve this, always up and to the right, up and to the right, up and to the right, and if not, then you're losing. And the consequence of that is ignored because profits are are prioritized over everything. And when you do that, you, make Travis Kalanick do what he did. You make Mark Zuckerberg do what he's doing. You you make the the Walmart or the oil industry or the finance industry or all these industries that are having demonstrable negative impacts on our world and on our species, they can't do anything else because that's the game that has been put forth. They have to turn profits. And until we can fix that, I don't think we're going to fix anything. You want to talk about inequality in the world. You want to talk about climate change. Any issue you want to point to, it always is coming down to the incentives. Everybody is is told they have to grow or die, grow or die, grow or die. And that's, that's the title you gave to the first episode of Super Pumped. And so, like I said, I, I would hope that... That this can be seen as something as larger than the story of uber or travis that grow or die means we're gonna die we're all gonna
0: fucking die if we can't change this the incentives man you're so right and by the way that doubles right back to the conversation we were having which is it's on the individual to redefine their incentives so that the industry they're in doesn't get to define the incentives. Mm-hmm. And in our business, right, to really remember the incentives that matter to you versus right. the incentives that matter to all the things sticking the feeding tubes everywhere. Right. And 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 you know, I'll tell you what helps you get to back to that North Star is reading fiction, weirdly. That's it, all right. It, I'm gonna
1: I'm gonna try. It I'm does go back to all right. I'm going.
0: Joseph Gordon Levitt, thank you. This has been great. Um everybody you, you can find Joe. Right. Dude, you're the best. Hit record. Joe is where he is on Twitter, though he doesn't post that much. When he does, he he indicates it with his own name, right? And yeah, uh, you're not on Instagram, right? You don't fuck around on Instagram. Do you? I am on Instagram. Yeah, oh. Instagram,
1: Instagram. I don't post that often, but that's that's one because you can't post link on Twitter and on Facebook. I'm just driving people to hit record. Uh, and on Instagram, you can barely put a link in a post, so I just I use Instagram to be my own little social media is that
0: hit record is instagram hit record joe too i believe it is yeah all right well you can find him all right i'm gonna follow you on instagram i didn't realize you were there you can find me at brian koppelman on twitter everybody you can write me the moment bk at gmail.com don't ask us for ryan johnson's contact information we won't give it to you and fuck he's probably changed it now i don't have it anymore god damn it all right everybody we'll see you next week take care bye